turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Republic. The taxation of trade routes to outlying star systems is in dispute. Hoping to resolve the matter with a blockade of deadly battleships, the greedy trade federation has stopped all shipping to the small planet of Naboo. While the Congress of the Republic endlessly debates this alarming chain of events, the Supreme Chancellor has secretly dispatched two Jedi Knights, the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy, to settle the conflict. Hey all you gals and guys, Grayson Parker Marcotte of the Sleeping Giant Podcast here with a special edition broadcast of our show. This is the first installment of a series of Star Wars positive conversations about the saga, and in this episode I'll be joined by my good friend Mr. Luke Summerfield whilst we chat about Star Wars Episode 1, Phantom Menace. Y'all go on and get comfy, because we are about to begin. Luke, are you there? Yeah, hey dude. How's it going, man? Yeah, good. You are my first guest on the Star Wars chats that I will be having, a number of which I suppose will be the saga films, since there are going to be nine by the time this gets rolling. But you are going to start with me on Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. So how are you feeling about this? Yeah, good. Let's go back to nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, dude. I wish I could go back to the hairline I had in 1999. (laughs) That would be very, that would be very nice. So yeah, man, taking it back to high school, taking it back to um, the serious, serious hype. So where were you at when this film came out in 1999 and we got all up in those trade disputes? Well, I was 11 years old. And to be honest, I don't think I understood any of that opening call. (laughs) <laughs> no <laughs> that just totally passed me by I think I recognized Jedi Knight <laughs> um, but this whole thing of the Galactic Republic taxation of trade routes and oh yeah it's like when you're a kid and you, you start hearing about politics you just switch off yeah I think I'm with you on that point it was <laughs> uh, it was a little hard to get my head around even this go round, uh, taking notes and really sort of paying attention, I had to kind of um, had to dive into a little bit of the legends stuff, which you know obviously now isn't canon. But from what I understand, what what had happened was uh, Sheev Palpatine had implemented a taxation on the Trade Federation. Uh, of course, you know this being part of his his master plan, and then he was pulling strings as Sidious to influence the Trade Federation to uh, create the blockade around Naboo and subsequently invade it. So he was playing both sides on that point. So that I think that explanation kind of is a nutshell enough to uh, kind of at least help people like myself understand what was going on. So it gave Palpatine a leg up politically, I feel so. <laughs> so we've got our boys, Qui-Gon Jinn and a much younger Obi-Wan Kenobi. They've been sent to sort of hash this out with uh, the Viceroy, I believe his name is Newt Gunray, to negotiate yep. this this whole business with the trade dispute and get everybody back on a, a, the happier side of things. But of course, things go horribly wrong when they realize that they are Jedi Knights and they flip out. So that sort of sets the stage for the movie. As a fan of Star Wars and being 11 years old 
Were you already a fan of the original trilogy, or was this sort of your introduction? I was a massive fan of the original trilogy. Um, I kept doing my parents' head in by uh, constantly renting Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi from uh, the local blockbuster. Uh, so when I got to see this with them, I was so excited because uh, Liam Neeson was in it. And as a child, I was a massive fan of the film Rob Roy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I was really pumped to see Liam Neeson in a Star Wars film. Yeah, that was the first time I'd ever seen or at least been cognizant of Liam Neeson. Okay, so you were already a fan um, of the original trilogy. So by the time Obi-Wan and Anakin busted out those lightsabers on the Trade Federation ship, um, were you like me and that you were extremely excited to see that go down? Uh, I was I was gushing. <laughs> and when you see um, them using the Force and throwing battle droids around, and then... Qui-Gon's in the back and he's he's using the lightsaber to cut through the door and you just see the the effects on the doors to this day still look immense as he just melt in through the door. You mm-hmm. never really got that with the, um, the original trilogy. Right. Going back and watching this film, do you feel like those effects stood up? Because I know they face a lot of criticism, but I, I found that they were actually pretty pleasing. I find that The Phantom Menace used a lot more practical effect uh, compared to the other two prequels. Mm-hmm. But I, I find it, Phantom Menace does sit quite well in with the other trilo- the other trilogy. I am definitely in agreement with you there. So speaking of the Jedi and their lightsabers, that sort of again that that causes the Trade Federation leaders to sort of flip out and they turn to this the hologram projection of a shadowy figure that I guess we're supposed to not know is Ian McDermott. Um, But I feel pretty sure that that's uh, old Sheev Palps there. And he says that the Jedi have forced their hand and they have to accelerate their plans and begin the invasion of Naboo. So the Jedi stow away on a ship to Naboo during said invasion. And I suppose they feel that they need to, to warn the queen. And that is, when we uh, we run into our pal, Jar Jar Binks. And this all seems to happen very quickly. Or am I misremembering this? Yeah, you got um, the little duel with the droids on the, the Trade Federation ship. And then they sort of, the droidicas turn up. And they realize that they're shielded. And then they do that sort of force sprint to disappear out of the sight of the droids. And then they escape. Very handy. A lot of people have an issue with, but you you see Luke do it in Empire when he jumps out yes. of the um, out of the carbon freezing chamber. That is Look correct. The they, they they don't use it all the time. And don't so, forget Jedi uh, Academy. Yeah, of course that came <laughs> after um, that came after the Phantom Menace, did it not? Oh sure, yeah, after definitely, definitely after. Okay, so we but, we have the Jedi on Naboo at this point, and uh, now. They save, they save the Gungan, Jar Jar Binks, from being mowed down by the impending fleet of, or should I say army, of battle droids. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to say this. Right now, Jar Jar Binks didn't annoy me quite as much. This go. I don't know if I've just softened over time or what, but I didn't really feel like that sort of sinking, depressing feeling that I used to get when I was younger. I was like, oh, yeah, it's, it's Jar Jar Binks. He's kind of an idiot, well, but we love him. Yeah. Well, when I was when I watched when I was 11, he didn't really bother me. He was quite entertaining, which I suppose 
that's what he was created for. Right. A younger audience. But the dialogue, man, they could have worked on his... I think if they worked on his speech a bit better and his Mm -hmm. dialogue, the character would have gone down much better. Yeah. But I've I've got this book, and it's uh, The Phantom Menace, illustrated screenplay, and it's Mm -hmm. what George wrote. He wrote, literally, he wrote the script out with all the screenplay. And he... And when you read it, he writes exactly how Jar Jar speaks. Yeah. In the text? Wow. It's awful. It's, it's, it's almost, I, I can't, I don't know what you was thinking. You could have just eased it off a little bit. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, usually, you know, a director um, has an idea of maybe what the character's speech or dialect would be, and then the actor, in turn, does there or works their magic and they sort of flesh it out and, and, and develop it. And I know that's not always the way it goes, but it seems more often than not, you know, there's sort of that give take relationship between creators on set. Yeah. But I, that I think, might've been. Yeah. I think the problem is as well, George tried to take total control. Right. I, I don't think anything was really up for debate with he just, this is how he went to that. And unlike with the original trilogy, there was a lot of people, Saying, hang on, George, you know, you know, calm it down a little bit here, cut this right. out. Whereas with the prequels, he was funding it all himself and he was top dog. So I don't think anybody wanted to stand up against him. Mm, there's always a bigger fish. There's always a bigger yeah. fish. <laughs> and George was it in this particular instance. Uh, <laughs> speaking of, that's the line spoken in, in the next sequence, which again, I found to be quite enjoyable. Jar Jar convinces Obi Wan. Yeah, the the whole scene where they swim down is quite yeah, really cool. And he, the fish even look like puppets. We notice when they're swimming down, the fish no. swim towards them. I was, I mean, I was cognizant of of the fish and whatnot, but I didn't really, I didn't spend too much time on them. Yeah, I have probably watched it a lot more than you though. So yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> and and I again, I had heard that. Uh, that it was the effects that seemed to age more in this film. But even mm. so, I wasn't that put off by a lot of the CGI, honestly. Well, and I maybe I was looking in the wrong places. I don't know. I, I think later on in the movie, we'll get to later, is when I have the issue with the CGI. Gotcha. Okay, well, definitely, <laughs> definitely point that out. Um. They they get to the Gungan City, which again is pretty beautifully imagined and executed, in my opinion. Um, we find out that Jar Jar was exiled apparently for being clumsy, which is interesting to me. Do they ever at any point get into exactly what he did? No, probably. No, and George something to do with farting or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> So uh, the the Jedi uh, meet with the the character Boss Nass, who is voiced by uh, uh, the the old one and only Brian Blessed. Which is uh, how would you describe Boss Nass? Um, gelatinous. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it. Um, I don't really know how to describe him. No, well, he's. I guess he's like an overweight Gungan because at first I thought that he just had a different physiology altogether, but his ears yeah. are tied back, right? I I assume so. 
he's all, he, he did look a lot different compared to the rest. Yeah, I think he's the just look a bit odd, don't they? I think they got those weird hats on as well. Yeah, they almost look like shells, like the spiral shells. I forget what the 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 term is for those. Um, but it, I think it's Qui Gon. Actually, no, I think it's uh, Obi Wan that chimes in and suggests that um, that he aid them in warning the people of Naboo of the impending danger from the Trade Federation because I think he says that they form a symbiotic relationship with one yeah. another, and whatever happens to them above will eventually happen to uh, the Gungans, and he doesn't seem to be very interested or trying to hear all that, but Qui-Gon, I think, taps him just a little bit with the Force. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I mean, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, you know? Some might say that that's over-manipulative, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> so they give him a transport, and, uh, and, and even so, Boss Nass seems pleased by the fact that they have to go through the planet core, which I'm assuming he thinks yeah. they won't survive. Wait, Is that... The planet core, like it's, he knows what's going. Uh, which again, that sequence of them getting in the bongo or the the transport, yeah. and uh, and going through the planet core with the the creatures that try to overtake them, and then they are in turn overtaken, uh, spawning the uh, the bigger fish line. No pun intended there, or was it? Yeah, it was um, monsters incredible. The sea yeah. creatures. I think one's called like a jackfish or something, and. Then... Is there like that, one that's like, like OP, OPC killer? OPC killer or something, yeah. Again, that was a scene that I thought I would be disappointed by uh, revisiting this film, but nope, it was actually pretty cool, and yeah. uh, and I enjoyed it. All right, so these cats wind up in Naboo, which uh, which I'm... I The memory escapes me. Theed, is that the name of the, yeah. the kingdom yeah. that they arrive in? Yeah. I think it's filmed in Italy, isn't it? I believe so. Yeah, I think so. I don't know if the exact same locations, excuse me, the same locations were used. Internal, yeah, the internal buildings were in Italy. Okay. So the, are those the same as the ones in Attack of the Clones? Did they film it all together? I think so. I think, uh, yeah, Attack of the Clones, wasn't that in Lake... Lake Como. Uh, Lake, Lake Como. Yep, and if That's we do a little time traveling... Uh, through the magic of podcasting time travel, uh, <laughs> Jude and I actually do talk about that in the episode two discussion. But yeah, so uh, I'm, I want to say that uh, at this point also, we're intercutting scenes with the Trade Federation and Sidious. And I think that he he's insinuating that the manipulation of Amidala will be simple because she is so young. Um, because the Trade Federation still seems to have some reservations in moving forward with the plan to invade Naboo. And I'm assuming that they're planning on killing Amidala in the process. I don't know. But uh, the Jedi do uh, end up rescuing the Queen. Att- they attempt to flee with her to Coruscant. Um, but uh, she doesn't seem terribly interested in going. Do you recall very much about this scene? Yeah, she's um, she's quite adamant. That she wants to stay on the boo. Um, I love it how uh, she has it all set up in her head with all that the, the handmaidens are like all interchanging with being the queen. It's, she's she reminds me, she's a perfect um, example of being Leia's. She's quite a strong female and she's only young already and she's taken right. Um, she's not allowing herself to be bullied or um, bothered by the Trade Federation. 
what do you think of Natalie Portman's performance as Amidala at this point? Are we, are we seeing much of a performance at all since she is so regal? Um, or do you think that that's, do you think that that's something that really comes through? Uh, I thought it, that costume was pretty incredible. The whole geisha look to it. Yeah. The, the, that costume on, but she does go through a lot of different costumes as well. Do we know if that was Natalie Portman in that scene or one of her stand-ins? In the, when you first see uh, Amidala, it's her. Mm-hmm. And then as the film progresses, then when she puts that black outfit on, mm-hmm. uh, that is um, Kira Knightley. Padme ah, and okay. Amazing. The black gown with the, the many feathers? Yeah, that is then Kira Knightley. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Again, I never would have imagined that. It wasn't until years later that I discovered that that was Kira Knightley. They look yeah, remarkably they similar. Yeah, they did at the time. Yeah. <laughs> at, the, at the time. <laughs> I guess they don't really anymore. I never yeah. really thought of that. Um, so they they wind up convincing the queen, Amidala. I keep wanting to call her Padme, but I guess at this point we don't really yeah. know uh, that that's her name. But uh, they convince the queen to hop in her cruiser, and they essentially try to bust their way through the blockade, which um, is successful, but not without sustaining heavy damage uh, to her ship, which um, is stabilized by R2, which sort of brings him to the forefront. And that was a fan-pleasing moment right there, as I recall. Do you? Uh, did, did you notice that there was a droid identical to him that gets destroyed by the next turn? I remember it being an astromech, but I don't recall it being identical. Yeah, there's, there's about five that go out to fix it, and he's the only one that survives. But next right. to him, there's literally one that's identical to him. And he ah. just gets destroyed. What may have been. Yeah. So it was, the, it was the R2 unit with the sass, though, that prevailed, which I'm particularly <laughs> thankful for. And I'll, I'll be honest, I don't remember very much about crowd reactions or anything like that when I saw this. Um, I can't. On the I, big can't I really can't. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, I don't think. It's just it's been so long and and uh, I've probably done a lot of damage to my brain between uh, between then and now. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember any of the fan reaction. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just I was I just blown away by going to see Star Wars on a big screen. Yeah. Well, we never we didn't think it was going to happen. You know. I mean, that's that's really what it what it came down to uh, with the Phantom Menace. So, I mean, it was just the 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 sheer excitement of getting to watch a new Star Wars movie really probably overshadows any memories that I have of it. Um, I don't remember the trailer. I don't remember. The only thing I can remember was uh, a magazine, and they had um, Obi-Wan and Darth Maul and the desert background. Mm-hmm. Was it and Star Wars Galaxy? Um, there was a, like a, I think it was like an entertainment weekly or like a vanity fair okay. shot. Gotcha. And it's Obi-Wan and Darth Maul jump in, and they fight it in the desert, and that's, that's not even in the film. No, no, it isn't. It's uh, only Qui Gon and and uh, Darth Maul that we see in the desert, isn't it? Yeah, I, I never saw a trailer because growing up on a farm, we didn't have, we didn't have internet until uh, about a year later. So 
Well, that was the old dial-up internet, which would take ages. Oh, yeah. It would have taken <laughs> a decade to download the trailer. If that, yeah. maybe a decade and a half, right? Decade to download an image. <laughs> yeah. It's coming into focus. You know what's funny <laughs> about that, though, is that when this trailer came out, people were paying full price to go see the trailer on the big screen, and then they were just ditching the movie. I mean, that that's how far we've come in communications and home yeah. entertainment, you know? I mean, can you even imagine doing that now if you wanted to see a new trailer? Oh, yeah. It's been nuts. Just paying, especially today's cinema prices. Yeah. Just to see a trailer. Now you can just whip your phone out and just watch the trailer on repeat. Yep, which I have. <laughs> yeah. Lately, I've um, trailers. Have you? Yeah. Well, you know, I really I want to go into I want to go into those new movies kind of calm. You know, I don't want the pool to be too disturbed, so to speak. But uh, mo- moving along in uh, in this discussion of episode one, it is that damaged ship that causes them to seek an emergency landing on. Uh, planet none other than Tatooine. So what yeah. did you think about that revisit to Tatooine? Oh, you can't fault the revisit to Tatooine. Right. It was it was nice we didn't go back to Mos Eisley. We went somewhere different with the Mos Espa. Yes. Which yeah. was the same, but different in some ways. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You could have said it was either one and you would have believed it. Exactly. Did you have an issue with how the ship looked? The ship? Yeah. Her, her, uh, Amidala's ship? Yeah. I always believed it showed how wealthy she was. Uh, oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm a queen. Look at my big uh, shiny star ship. Yeah, I I am a little surprised by that, but yeah. only in the way that I was surprised by how the ship designs were so sleek all the way around. Um, so it wasn't really her specifically that I took an issue with. I mean, I I was under the impression that George was trying to illustrate how sort of clean and beautiful everything was, but I, I don't I don't really feel like it was a negative on her part. Is that what you were referring to? No, it, a lot of people just had an issue with how the ship's look, but I always just thought it was just because she had a lot of money. Yeah, well, I mean that is very reflective of the real world as well. I think, Mm. I mean, she's the queen. It's good to be the queen, (laughs) right? (laughs) She's royalty. Um, With that being said though, we're on Tatooine. We're in Mos Espa and the crew, which at this point consists of Qui-Gon, Jar Jar, R2, I believe. And then the addition of what we're told is one of the queen's handmaidens, Padme. Yeah, because the queen wants to learn the lay of the land, and uh, so this group goes into Mos Espa in search of a replacement part for the hyperdrive, which was damaged. So you want to talk a little yeah. bit about Mos Espa? Yeah. Um, well, we we start off with Qui Gon really doesn't want to take Padme with him, right? Apparently, Her Majesty insists. So um, yeah, so when they get there, uh, we find a little. Uh, Parts and droid dealer called Watto. Well, I, I, what did I you think of Watto? Well, I, I didn't have a problem with him. He reminded me of something out of a sci-fi TV series I used to watch, but I can't put my name to it though. In Watto's shop, they he does actually have the part they're looking for, right? 
Yeah. And I guess the conflict comes into play wherein Qui-Gon wants to pay him with Republic credits. Is that the deal? Yeah. Uh, is it Re- Republic Daktaris or something? Yeah. I know they weren't Imperial credits, obviously. <laughs> um, but I think that he keeps trying to sort of force push Watto into accepting them. And he's like, eh, no. <laughs> what are you it's waving like your hand? Yeah. Mind <laughs> tricks don't Force work on me. On me. <laughs> Only money. Oh, George. Okay, so... <laughs> <laughs> we can put him right in the whole script, George. Seriously, chill. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so this puts them in a pickle. They don't have anything to trade. They don't have any money for this part that they really need uh, to get off tattooing. Because, I mean... It is a backwater, and I was trying to think of like what is the what is the situation like? Where does the gravity of the situation come into play? And it is such that they can't send a transmission to Naboo, right? Because if they do, then they'll track them, right? But they don't have any money, so they can't get off the planet. So I guess the the idea is that they don't really have a way. They they would just be stuck on Tatooine until somebody figured out a way to make some dough. And it probably wouldn't be noble, to say the least. Let's see, how do they get off Tatooine? Because uh, there there are a series of things that have to take place before they can get off Tatooine. Uh, meeting Anakin is probably the first step to, to getting off of the desert planet. And he is employed by, or employed is probably not the right word, he is enslaved by Wada, the shop owner. And Padme is quite taken aback because uh, she thought slavery had been banned, but obviously not in the outer. outer right. Space. The, the the Republic has no sway in such a distant and remote planet, I guess, yeah. in the outer rim, which is pretty messed up. Um, so, how do we get off Tatooine, Luke? Qui Gon is very much a Jedi who likes to live in the moment, and he just is very good at going with the flow and. He entrusts Anakin to win in a pod race. Which was his idea, wasn't it? Yes. After uh, Anakin brings them home during a sandstorm. So I guess that's how we really get to know Anakin in in that time. They are in his home with his mother, Shmi. Yes, and it it gets to a part that really bothers me then. It's one of the... I'm I'm really... I really enjoyed the prequels, but there's some things that bother me. One of them is... (laughs) Anakin built C-3PO. Yeah, it it is a little weird. It was... Uh. Well, I mean, even in the context of the film, it was strange because Anakin says that, oh, he's a protocol droid. I built him to help mom. And I'm thinking, what does she need a protocol droid for? You know? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Well, <laughs> what other jobs can protocol droids do? Yeah, I, it's like etiquette and protocol. I, I don't think are really going to come into play in the Skywalker household. No, not no. at that point. I mean, that's just. I mean, and, and yeah, that doesn't. That makes zero sense. You can really look over a lot of stuff, but that makes zero sense. Uh, uh, the fact of the, when they come face to face in Empire, mm-hmm. he, he knows that three PO has been um, has had his gold plating put on because you see that in the other films, right? And it's like. George, were you not really thinking about... I know George always believed that Star Wars centered around the two droids. Right. But to have 3PO be created by Darth Vader 
it's it's just stupid. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm going to have to agree with you on that point. There was, however, and you might even remember this. Um, I can't remember the issue or the series now, but I remember the first time I read it and saw it years later in a comic book by Dark Horse, I think. There's a scene on Bespin where Vader finds the blown apart 3PO and he picks up his head and just sort of touches his helmet to 3PO's head. And uh, so there were some things that happened in the prequels that gave an opportunity, I think, to some artists and creators to make some really touching things happen. Yeah, it was really cool. It was really cool. I liked it. It defines 3PO's parts on Cloud City. Yeah. Oh, cool. That would be another one of those things for me to try to dig out and post along with the yeah. show. But, I mean, it doesn't excuse it at all. Um, but, like I said, it did sort of allow that to take place. Um, mm. So, in this in this period of which this child has suggested that he pilot a pod racer, um, we also learn something, something else very important about Anakin, and that is apparently um, he was a bit of an immaculate conception, mm. which well, of course piques Qui-Gon's interest. That's up for debate because she just goes, there was no father. Right. I carried him, I gave birth to him. She doesn't really like get into details. Does she not? I mean, because I, I really, I don't know. Like I, I, that's just the impression that I got, but you're right. I guess you, I guess there's some leeway there for interpretation. Yeah. Didn't say, oh, I, you know, I'm a virgin. It's a virgin birth, right? But then <laughs> again, Qui Gon does say later when he's talking to the ca- uh, to the Council, the Jedi Council. I think that the midi chlorians could have created this life. Doesn't yeah. he say that? Yeah. It is vague enough when she describes that that it could go either way. But I think that that bo- that perception is reinforced by what Qui Gon says later in the film. Mm. Yeah. The um, the deal is such that Qui-Gon wants to win money by put, putting... When I say this out loud, it actually, it's actually kind of funny. Qui-Gon wants to put yeah. this child's life at extreme risk. <laughs> so, yeah, a child who's never finished the race. Right. Um, but he does have exceptional faith in him. So the idea is that Anakin is going to win this race, and they're going to use the winnings to buy the part that they need to... Uh, to fix the ship, but I guess, uh, and this was actually a Shmi's suggestion that, um, that Watto's greed might be used against him. So, um, Qui-Gon sort of ups the stakes and says, Hey, you know, um, how about this? You, uh, will use the ship as the entry fee. Well, I'm sorry, actually, he suggests that they, uh, the, the winnings will be split 50, 50 Qui-Gon will put the ship up as the entry fee and uh, he will supply the pod, and it will be raced by Anakin. And then it's Watto, I think, that says, well, if we're going to do 50-50, how about you put up the entry, and if I win, we get the the parts, and if if we lose, then you get to keep the ship, and you win either way. I think that's what it was. And I'll be honest with you, when I first, probably the first few, five, six, seven times I watched this movie, I had no idea what was going on. Did you have that problem? It, it, yeah, it's a bit confusing the whole deal because at the uh, at the end of the race, then Walter's furious because he got nothing at all. Yeah, I yeah. have to take better note of that. I think. Yeah, I I don't understand that at all. But I tried to write it down as it was being said. 
and um yeah and and there you go it still doesn't make complete sense to me um but we have our pod race and the only thing that i really have to say about this is that the the sound design again is out of this world i mean it it'll it'll blow you away yeah most of the pods sound like formula one cars and then Zabulba, which is something we haven't really spoke about um his just sounds like a massive Harley Davidson. With that whoop, 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 whoop. Oh, yes, potato, potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's... You, can, you can see George Lucas's love for cars. Yeah, he loved racing cars. But he that put was... a lot of it. And that there's really critically there's nothing that you can really take away from that whole sequence. There's there's one bit I cut straight out. What's that? Yeah, you know you know when all the racers walk across and three pills carrying the flag for Anakin. Mm-hmm. And it pans to an EOP, the one of those um, ones you can ride. And it just farts in Jar Jar's face. And it just oh. takes the scene. And then you're back, back towards the start of the race again, then. You know what? I'll, I just didn't even, I didn't even realize that when I was uh, watching it again this time. Just, yeah. It just winds me up. Uh, like, what? All right. So, yeah, I did not notice the farting this go-round. Again... I think it could be because I had already decided to be good-natured about this and and watch these films with the spirit of enjoying them and being entertained, which yeah, really... On the Blu-ray, I'm not sure, because he changed them so many times. Yeah, and I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be able to tell. <laughs> I, I mean, seriously, if they changed anything on Disney+, Plus, I really wouldn't know. And I've heard tell that things have already been sort of um, tinkered with so this is this is how they get off of Tatooine, but it's important to mention here that something very there it's not without a bit of almost tragedy because um, part of that wager that Qui Gon had made it was sort of a, a secondary wager, if you will, right before the race. Uh, he asked that Watto put up um, the freedom of Anakin should yeah. he win. That was the deal with the chance cube. And again, Qui-Gon manipulating people via the force. And, uh, it, you know, the, there was supposed to be the chance cube was for either Shmi or Anakin. And of course, um, Qui-Gon having his feeling about Anakin, he used the force so that the chance cube would, would go in his favor. So Anakin was free, but his mother wasn't, which that just, that still, doesn't quite sit right with me. I mean, what are what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it it you know it's playing into the hands of Anakin eventually becoming dark. Right. That that love for his mother, and he says he's going to become a Jedi Knight, come back and free her like a hero. Right. And then when you discover that the Jedi is it's not all it's cracked up to be. They're very flawed. Right. But that that moment there instantly starts playing painting him into that dark path yeah and i think it is very much there to serve the story as you said it as as a parent though that's really hard for me to watch because i'm thinking like who how you know unless you as a parent are like this is the only way ever i can get my child to have a better life that's one thing but it just it seems like it would not be a stretch for them both to go you know um Um, yeah, it, it seems it, like it could have been arranged. Yeah, unless uh, you got the whole uh, running man vibes, and if she steps outside the area, uh, 
Right. <laughs> they explode. Not to mention they blow you up. They blow you up. <laughs> but, yeah, but I'm just saying they could come back, right? You know, after they get everything sorted, they'll just be like, "Oh, right, Anakin, we need to go for your mother." You know, we'll we'll bring back however many credits Watto needs um, to set her free, and they just I don't know. I find it I find it difficult to believe yeah, it, that it, it was, that was part of the flaws of the Jedi. You had to give up everything, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, but how many times does Amidala? defy the wishes of the Jedi and attack of the clones. You know, she's like, oh, well, this is what I'm doing. This doesn't have anything to do with the Jedi. She could have come back, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm just, all right. I, I'm, I don't think I'm nitpicking. I do think it's weird. Um, maybe I am nitpicking, though, whatever. Um, I hate to go back to the political stuff, but it is important for the sake of the movie. Um we bring we're we're back to Palpatine, who obviously is Darth Sidious, um, and he is sort of influencing Amidala at this point, insisting that to appeal to the Senate would be foolish because they're so mired down in bureaucracy and ridiculousness that they would never they would never concede to helping the planet of Naboo. However, if she were to vote or to uh, create a vote for no confidence in Valorum then the chancellor would be replaced by someone more competent, which is, of course, someone none other than old Chief Palpatine himself, which I thought was super mm-hmm. funny because when uh, when that happens and he's nominated, he's like, oh, it was a complete and total surprise. And then he goes <laughs> on to be like, oh, but I'm going to get it. <laughs> so I was like, what? So that was weird. I thought, but uh, so they're they're on Coruscant, obviously having left Tatooine, having left Shmi Skywalker and Tatooine. I would like to reiterate, and this is the first time we see Coruscant. It's also the first time we see the Jedi Temple. Qui Gon wants to train this kid as a Jedi. He really feels very strongly that he could represent someone or something that is mentioned in a prophecy that. Master Windu and Yoda bring up to him in a uh, a meeting with Anakin. So this is the first time we've heard about this prophecy of the one, which I think um, is where we kind of come back to Qui-Gon talking about the midichlorians creating his life. And Mace is like, oh, you're you referring to the prophecy of the one, etc. So it's really kind of, it's a kind of a surprise at this point that the council refuses to take Anakin into the ranks of, uh, of the Jedi and become a Jedi Padawan. I was kind of surprised by that. Were you? Yeah. And they, they, they seem to have all these rules. Even mm-hmm. Yoda, he's, he's very dogmatic and he seems to dwell on the past and the future. And like these Jedi can't seem to see what's in front of them. Right, which was really Qui-Gon's gift, wasn't it? Yeah, Qui-Gon was um, like a Jedi who was, he would live for the moment. Like right. He'd he tell Obi-Wan, don't focus on the future, focus on the now. Right, and that was in the, I think, one of the opening scenes of the film when he says that, isn't it? Yeah. So it's curious that that we do have all these rules, and I wonder if we're meant to feel sort of amb- I wonder if our feelings are supposed to be kind of mixed or ambiguous regarding the Jedi 
in this mm-hmm. regard, you know, because we're seeing the curtain peel back from the past and we're seeing the way that they operated. So I wonder almost as if I, I wonder almost if we, the audience, were meant to see them as kind of ridiculous and hard to understand or unnecessarily complex or dogmatic, as you said. Yeah, they they, they were sort of not sticking to what they believed in. Mm-hmm. As, as the war progresses in later films, they, they're doing things they shouldn't be doing. Right. That So we really are kind of witnessing sort of the... Not necessarily the downfall of the Jedi at this point, but it, the, the center is definitely starting to to not hold as well. Is that do you think that's accurate to say? Yeah, I, I believe so. Yeah, I think Qui Gon does sort of bring Obi Wan aside and he's like, "Listen, <laughs> here's what I'm gonna do." Obi Wan said something about don't try not to upset them again, right? Like, which implies that he does it often. <laughs> But here's what I'm going to do. Hear me out. <laughs> so, yeah. So Qui-Gon decides that he's going to train Anakin as a Jedi, but not before the council orders them back to Naboo because, you know, Amidala, you know, she really, she really comes out and embraces the situation and decides to be a true leader and uh, acknowledges her people as hers and, and decides to take responsibility for their plight and she is going back to Naboo. So the council sends the Jedi back with her. And this is really what brings us into the third act of the film, wherein a lot doesn't really take place. So I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, they go back. The Jedi with Queen Amidala are able to persuade the Gungans to join them in their fight um, because they, you know, uh, Amidala basically or at least to Boss Nass insinuates that they don't believe that they're superior to the Gungans. So he's, he's like, yeah, that's really all I ever wanted. He does take a knee in front of him as well. It's just yeah, he does bow yeah. To him. they all yeah. do, as a matter of fact. Yeah. So he agrees to go to battle against the Trade Federation, which is sort of a long and drawn-out ordeal. Um, but the main function of the Gungan army against the Trade Federation was to serve as a distraction to allow the Jedi and Amidala to infiltrate the castle and take control uh, from, or at least apprehend Newt Gunray. Um, So two very important things happen at this point. In the ensuing battle, Anakin finds himself in a starship, and Qui-Gon orders him to stay in the cockpit, which he does. And we meet Darth Maul. Yeah, the door opens up. And he uh, takes his hood off and then ignites the dual saber. Yeah. And probably one of the greatest Star Wars music that's playing, Duel of the Fate. Yes, you'll get no argument from me there. Yeah, that that song is incredible. It's, it was really well choreographed as well. Yeah. The, the Master and Apprentice versus this crazy horned guy with a double-bladed lightsaber doing flips. And I know that there was a lot of criticism leveled against the intricacy of the choreography, but I think the best defense that I heard uh, for that was that we were seeing the Jedi in their prime. Yeah, and let's I face mean, it, it would something rather that duel or a duel like we get with Obi-Wan, old Ben Kenobi and Vader in A New Hope? 
Right. And I suppose with the amount of Jedi that are around, the Force probably is flowing around a bit more as well. I think that makes sense. So we have, and this this scene, or rather the saber fight, is intercut with the Gungan battle and Anakin, who's in his cockpit and decides to take the Naboo cruiser for a little bit of a spin. I and in an automatic pilot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. He tries to take a few um, droidicas first. The the important thing that happens though. Uh, in the in the scene with Anakin in the ship, apart from learning that spinning is a good trick, he is <laughs> he takes down the droid control ship, right? Isn't that how yeah. ultimately the battle he, is won? He crash lands in there, but he doesn't fly in and save the day. He's been right. shot. He t- he crash lands in there, and the ship powers down. Then I think the ship powers back up again, and he just starts firing down inside it, and then luckily he destroys. The uh, generator. Yeah. Which, I mean, you know, that's pretty fortunate. Perhaps it was the will of the Force. Either way, and I didn't remember this until we watched it again, or at least until I watched it again. That That is how the Gungans are able to defeat the uh, the droids on the battlefield, yeah, correct? Yeah. Because they've been powered down? Yeah, they just they all powered down then. If it had been up to Jar Jar and his friends, they never would have won. Right. So we, we're cutting back to the throne room uh, where Amidala is able to outsmart and outgun Newt Gunray and his troops, which is just awesome. I love that. Yeah, I love that. Totally trick him. Natalie Portman was taking care of business in that sequence. Yeah. And I love the sound of the, their blasters that they have, the, the pointy ones. Yeah. The, they're the, like the thin, spindly ones. This, I mean, well, that just, again, the sound design in, in these prequel movies. I mean, in Star Wars in general, but in the prequel movies, that is one thing that really shines. And and we've talked about him before. Uh, ben Burt, I think his name is. Yeah. Um, the, the sound engineer slash designer for Star Wars. Just absolutely brilliant. Um, so things are starting to wrap up. The the Trade Federation droids have been defeated. Um Newt Gunray's been apprehended, yet the Jedi are still facing down the the Sith warrior, um, and not having an easy time of it, as I recall. No, um, uh, I think Obi Wan gets knocked off the ledge. Yeah, and you see Qui Gon has, has got a bit of anger in him though, and he's just plowing into Maul, and Maul's on the back foot, and they get to those blast doors, those laser doors. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan's trying to catch up to help out his master and then you just see whereas Maul is pacing back and forth waiting for this laser uh, yeah. blast order. Very animalistic Yeah, and Qui-Gon now, he's calmed himself he's meditating and then as soon as the doors open he just gets owned he, he, but Maul just finishes him there and then it's yeah. almost like uh, I'm Using a bit of the dark side, yeah, but I calm myself. I'll trust in the force. And then what does the force do? Get rid of Qui Gon. Down. It makes me wonder, though, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that is something that I wanted to to ask you about and discuss. Two things: Qui Gon being in the moment, or perhaps when he meditated, he saw how things should perhaps unfold. Yeah, Maybe I just think... throwing it out there. Um, yeah. And second, when Obi-Wan catches up to Maul, 
is it just me or does he totally win that fight by using the dark side? Yeah, because um, when when Obi Wan enters the room, and after Qui Gon has dropped, Obi Wan, you can see Obi Wan is angry. Yeah, and he is just going to town on on Maul. Tearing it up. You get, I think, yeah, I think the adrenaline takes over, and then Maul just knocks him off the ledge. And yeah, so he definitely he didn't succeed necessarily, but I think it added an edge to his fighting, which I think personally we see again. In uh, The Return of the Jedi, when Luke bests Vader, I think you're seeing a, a Jedi use the dark side um, yeah, to overcome an opponent. Yeah, I mean, but that's a conversation for another time, of course. Um, so Maul, in his hubris, feels that he has overcome Obi-Wan, but not before Obi-Wan can skirt past him using that awesome force jump that we have seen a few times now. And then he pulls Qui-Gon's saber. And Maul had the high ground. Yes. (laughs) You know what? I'm glad you said that. Because when I was writing this, I was like, God, don't go there. Just don't do it. Do not point out that Maul has the high ground. And, I mean, it makes me wonder, though. um, Did he think about that when he was on Mustafar with Anakin? And he was like, it's over, Anakin. I have the high. Did he hesitate for just a second? That's what I always thought of in that scene. Then did he tell Anakin must have knew, known how the famous Obi Wan defeated the first uh, Sith Lord they'd seen in so many years? Mm-hmm. So that that's I think it adds a bit of weight. It does. Uh, History repeated itself, and yeah. you know that's Anakin what, not being as clear headed, and Obi Wan, well being Obi Wan, you know, and definitely minding his feelings and and minding his surroundings. Uh, Anakin was not able to get the best of him. Um, which, of course, unfolded as it should have. At least I feel we've been led to believe that things have unfolded as they should have. Uh, I, um, I just have thought now, back to what you said about, um, you know, about Qui-Gon focusing in that meditation path. Uh-huh. Maybe he saw that the only way for the, the council to train Anakin was for him to die. It could be. I think there was a lot that happened in that meditation, in that moment of meditation, that we're not going to know. Um, no. So it could be that we're just, you know, filling the old headcanon again. But I, I like where you're going with that. Mm. Definitely. <laughs> well, that's why I love these conversations. You know, sometimes it, it might take a minute to get them going. But, you know, once the old juices start flowing and you really get into, you know, the you know, you put yourself in the mental space of Star Wars and you're just on Star Wars. You know, that's when the, uh, that's when the good stuff starts coming out, I think. But yeah, with the defeat of Maul, that's the first Sith that's been defeated, at least according to legends in some, some thousands of years between the Jedi Mm. and the Sith. Um, so everything is kind of wrapped up very nicely. Uh, we have high chancellor, Palpatine. Um, we have Anakin, who is now Obi-Wan's Padawan. Like, but we are kind of left hanging with the Jedi and the Jedi Council during the funeral of Qui-Gon, because yeah. there's still this mysterious Sith lurking in the shadows, yeah, and they don't know. If that was the master or the apprentice. Right. And then the camera pans to Ian McDermott! <laughs> <laughs> so, no mystery there at all, I feel. I, I mean, but seriously, we're, 
are they presenting these films to us with the knowledge that we know the Ian McDermott is Chief Palpatine? Or are they allowing people to put it together? I mean, because you're looking at the bottom half of his face, you're hearing his voice, it's clear that it's him, you know? Yeah. So what are I they what are they doing? As as adults, we know. But if you watch it as a child, mm-hmm. it, things like that are gonna pass you by. You're not gonna notice that Ian McDermott is the emperor. Right. Yeah. I, I, I still when I watch Star Wars with my boys now, they still I get quite shocked in Revenge of the Sith. Uh, yeah. They they don't really see the Emperor until the hood comes over and you see it, you know, when, it, when his face appears. And mm-hmm. So I think for children, I think, yeah, he showed it for children. Okay. Um, I can I can get behind that. Fans before beforehand going to see The Phantom Menace the first time. Right. People knew who Ian McDermott was, so there was going to be no surprise there. But for the, for, for the uninitiated... There could certainly have been a surprise. Like my mom. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I think uh, that my mom probably picked up quite a bit of that just through sheer osmosis um, growing <laughs> up with us as children and, and at the time being married to my dad. Um, yeah. That That's probably something that did happen. How do you feel this film served Star Wars as a whole? Do you think it established a good backstory to what we know of the original trilogy? Uh, yeah, you got to see what it was like to be a Jedi in the prime. Um, I I believe that they, they shouldn't have gone with a, a really young Anakin. Mm-hmm. I think that didn't sit well with a lot of people. And as I said before, the issue that Anakin created 3PO was just a bit off. Yeah. How about as far as the way that the world felt? Um, did you feel that it sort of reinforced the existence of the original trilogy? Yes. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. If I think yeah. that going back to Tatooine, but like you said, going to somewhere else apart from Mos Eisley uh, was different enough, but simultaneously familiar enough to kind of root you in that world. So it definitely worked for me. Uh, who was your favorite character in The Phantom Menace? Oh, it's got to be quite good. Yeah, yeah, that's... Mm. He was the only action figure I, I had at the time as well. And I've still got him now. Well, again, it's Liam Neeson, too. Yeah, you know, it was Rob Roy with a lightsaber. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're not, not going to go wrong with that, I think. Um, the casting of Liam Neeson was was interesting to me, I think, because they could have gone with a lot of people, and uh, and they and they wound up going with Liam Neeson, which I, I think is, is pretty... I mean, there's nothing wrong with that choice, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, having the gift of, of 2020... Um, you know, rear view vision, I don't think they could have gone with anyone else. Liam Neeson will always be Qui-Gon because he, he just adds so much to that character. The, the, the best thing I like about him, I, I've noticed as I've got older, is because he lived for the moment, mm-hmm. you notice throughout the prequels, Yoda is not the Yoda we know in Empire. So right. when he gets on Revenge of the Sith, Yoda starts to commune, he's been communing with... Um, Qui-Gon doing the Clone Wars with the mm-hmm. spirit of Qui-Gon. And then you see then that when you get to Yoda and Empire, he's become more of a Jedi for the, the living force, but everything that surrounds him. Yeah. Whereas Yoda doing the prequels had lost his way a bit, and it's Qui-Gon that brings him back down to what it truly means to be a Jedi. 
Yeah, I love that. I really feel like the development of Qui-Gon Jinn post the Phantom Menace throughout things like the Clone Wars, I feel that whoever developed that character, I'm not sure who wrote specifically uh, during that time for for the Clone Wars, and uh, I don't know if... Um, well, that's neither here nor there. So, yeah, I don't know specifically who handled those story ideas and the development of them, but to do that in such a clever way, to retrofit it into the original trilogy, hats off. Right at the beginning of The Phantom Menace, you've got Obi-Wan, and he's, he's saying to um, Qui-Gon, um, he senses something elsewhere, something elusive. Yeah. And yes. And brings him back down to Earth. He goes, um, focus on the moment. And then he's on about, oh, but Master Yoda said I should be mindful of the future. Yeah. Yep, that's then, we kind of touched on that a little while ago. Yeah, that being one of one of Qui Gon's traits. So Qui Gon really is, and I, and obviously at this point, I think you know he's my favorite character from that film as well. Uh, he's a Jedi that I feel like played a huge part in the unfolding of the story, but maybe doesn't get as much credit as he should. No, he, and at the end of the day, he teaches Yoda. And if you're teaching Yoda, there's got to be something special about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's kind of seen as like the paragonal Jedi. Like he's got the most midi chlorians. His skills with the lightsaber are unmatched. His wisdom is unmatched, etc. So yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Interesting bit of trivia um, about Liam Neeson as Qui Gon. Apparently. I guess, and infamously so at this point, Lucas, in an effort to cut costs for the filming, only build the only had the physical sets built about as tall as the actors were. But uh, <laughs> Liam Neeson is a huge dude. <laughs> so, yeah. Uma McGregor is quite tall as well. So is he really? Yeah, I, I didn't McGregor, know. That. But, yeah, I think Uma McGregor is about six foot. Well, I mean, there's six feet, and then there's like being six four or six five. I mean, there's. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a big difference, but it's a pretty big difference. Uh, I mean, you're you're a rather tall fellow yourself. I I am the Liam Neeson of Jedi's. There you go. <laughs> so it cost it cost Lucas money to uh, to have Liam Neeson as Qui Gon Jinn, which is it just amuses me for some reason. It tickles the old funny bone. I don't know why I have such a a grudge <laughs> against Lucas. I admit I do. I think though, um, well, and really. It comes down to you, though, Luke. You convinced me to do this. You convinced me to ease up and go back and try to enjoy the prequels and watch them. And yeah, and I have. You've got to enjoy the Star Wars that is, not the Star Wars that isn't. Right. No, you're absolutely it's right. Moments in in every film. You know, it's, there's even moments in the original trilogy. You think, oh, I would have, you know, I would have changed this, or right. I would have done that a little bit differently. I'd have made this fight scene a bit longer. Or... Right. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it just it amuses me now too at this point that you know being a 35 year old man, um, it's almost like a Christmas Carol, and the ghost of Christmas future <laughs> is, has come to me and shown me as like a 60 year old man with a full neck beard, and I'm still like. <laughs> complaining on the internet and going on to whatever friends I have left about how terrible the prequels were. And I'm just like, nah, <laughs> that can't be me. That can't. 
I think I think Disney are doing quite a good job of making you appreciate the prequel. They well, they, put little yeah. things into the new films that takes you back, and it, it. Absolutely. Well, that's one of the reasons why I love the Clone Wars so much because it reframed so much of the prequels that yeah. you you couldn't help but appreciate it. You know, it, it just so happened that I feel personally that the quality of the Clone Wars was a little bit better. So it took a period of time I, that I didn't care for and brought me into it. I think that was because George then was throwing his ideas out there, but he had people around him like Dave Filoni who mm-hmm. would just sort of bring him back down a little bit. Or should we try and go this way a bit? And, right. Yeah. I think that's what lacked with the all three prequels. I think George was like, it's all my money. I'm not going with Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And I just throw everything at it. I'm gonna try all this new CGI, so I don't have to go to the desert and get covered in sandstorms again. And I think nobody had the guts to really stand up and say, "Look, George, just wind it in a bit. You've got some crazy <laughs> ideas. Just chill." Yeah, exactly. I'm thinking that I wanted to do an episode every month. Um, obviously, there are only nine saga films, so that leaves three more slots. And I haven't decided yet if they're going to be filled with The Clone Wars, the movie, Rogue One, and Solo, or if I want to do Solo, Rogue One, and The Mandalorian. I don't don't know. I don't know what would fit better, to be honest with you. One of those is going to have to be a bonus show, I think. Yeah. um, I think you're better off going with Solo, Rogue One, and The Mandalorian. Well, the reason I say that is because I think it would be interesting to get into the meat of how the Clone Wars was developed and who was involved and, and how the story was allowed to be a little bit more. Um, you do the Clone Wars as a bonus. You think uh, so? Yeah, because by, by March next year, we'll have it in the UK as well. So everybody will be binge watching the Clone Wars again. No, that's actually a really good idea. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot more that we could say about the prequels, but I think that given the time that we have to work with, we, uh, you know, I think we did a pretty good job. Mm, yeah. Once again, I'm going to go ahead and reiterate that uh, I actually had a really good time doing this. And if I hadn't already mentioned it to you all listening, Luke Summerfield is the one that really spurred this ahead. He didn't put put the idea in my head, but he made me come back to the prequels. So. Luke, good on you, boy. Yeah, uh, no worries. <laughs> I knew well, that was your master plan. <laughs> that was that was your plan from the beginning. Maybe that's why you were put in my life. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, here. I, I'm the Qui Gon of your life. Yes, yeah. or the my ghost of Star Wars future. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't be this guy, please. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for this evening, Luke. Uh, I definitely appreciate you taking the time to to join me for this chat about the phantom menace so thank you very much sir thank you dude thanks for having me on absolutely take care take it easy dude
Hey y'all, if you liked that, join us next month where we'll be speaking to Mr. Jude Gay of Blah Wars about Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Until next time. <laughs>